Hey, good afternoon. You are listening to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. This is Lumpin' Radio. Up right now, it is time for Radio Free Bridgeport. Broadcasting from the community of the future. Live from the co-prosperity sphere, this is Radio Free Bridgeport. And now your host, Mr. John Daly. Yeah. Hey everybody, welcome to Lumpin' Radio. This is Radio Free Bridgeport, here with Jamie Trecker. Lovely Tuesday. It is a lovely Tuesday. Um, it's a yeah, nice day outside, actually. We're getting it back a little bit, you know? Getting it back, yeah. It's it's creeping me out, man, because it's uh, the ground should be frozen and I should be freezing, you know, walking over here. But, uh, you know, it's okay, I guess. Exciting times here at Lumpin' Radio, Jamie. Last night, a hell of a concert, I hear. Yeah, uh, Jules Peterson was in town for the International Anthem Showcase. Seven bands, including Damon Locks uh, and uh, Makai McRaven and Jamie Branch. And... Speaking of which, Jamie Branch uh, last night committed to being on our show in February. So oh, we will have her on uh, as soon as she gets back into town. Uh, she's in New York City, of course, because she lives there. But she's coming back. Well, she's all over the place. She's, she's all over the place, yeah. She's the other Jamie, as I call her. So. Great, great album last year. Great album. Great album this year. Oh, exciting. Flyer Die number two. Yeah, great album. And, uh, yeah, it was a good show. Uh, packed house. Um, unusual for a Monday night. Uh but, you know, uh, great vibes. And, you know, also we had the soup night last night, too, uh, over at Mars with Juan. And uh, that was uh, the most successful one to date, I believe. Oh, that's good. And uh, we're going to do another one. I can announce it here right now on uh, March 23rd, right Who here at the Who were Coast the uh, benefactors last evening? I think a simple good was one. Um, I'd have to look up the other one. Uh, PMI, of course, was one of the benefactors. Um, if you give me a second, I'll pull it up. I'll tell you. Um, well, that's a good cause. Uh, Melvina what... Masterminds. Melvina Masterminds and the, and the simple good. Very nice. Yeah. So there we go. Very nice. Well, you know, Jamie, the uh, as we move along here at the beginning of the year, it's always time to look forward to Love Leader. It is time, and that's this weekend. So if you're in town Friday and Saturday, uh, I believe the main event is sold out, but there uh, is a party on Friday here at the Cup Prosperity Sphere. I don't know. I mean, last time I was involved, there were some sword demonstrations and all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, fire eaters, uh, you know. Stuff like that, koala throwers and, and things, you know. I think I played a hipster elf hunter. I think you did. I think, weren't you playing on the table with uh, the dude from... Logan uh, was the DM. Oh, very good. Yeah. All right, well, there you go. Yeah, that was pretty crazy, I guess. Yeah. So Friday and Saturday, level leader. Uh, so uh, today on the show, uh, we're going to call Carissa Hendricks in a minute. She is a magician. She was actually named as, I believe, the Magic Castle's uh, top magician of last year. So we're going to be talking about her podcast, which is called Shazam, and uh, what she does. Uh, we were going to have a band in today. The band Otherly, unfortunately, they had a medical emergency. Oh, no. uh, yeah, their lead singer, unfortunately, um, was not given doctor's clearance to sing for us today. So we're going to reschedule them. We're going to have them in March. So no John Daly session, but we want to wish everybody in Otherly the best, and we hope they get well, and we will be hearing from them. Uh, and next week, the John Daly sessions return. We've got the killer drones. They'll be in-house. And, John, uh, you're going to get a ringer in uh, in this seat for me as well. So, I'm uh, excited. Yeah, you should be excited. It should be good. It should be a good time. You're just going to have to run the board, though. So Not a problem. You got that? Okay. Yeah. Uh, John, what else has been going on, though, with you before we get into to Ms. Hendricks? How you been doing this week? Good, good. You know, there's uh, a lot happening. Um, the State of the State, State of the Union is on its way up, so both the Illinois government and our own federal government is yeah. uh, kind of preparing for, for what's ahead. Yeah. Um, different dynamic in, in those two venues. Yeah. But, um, in the state of Illinois, the governor uh, had a, a number of things to say today, and one of probably the most interesting or exciting things was that 
he said that he does have an understanding with the mayor about a Chicago casino. Oh, that'd be interesting. What do you think? You know, I've kind of got mixed feelings about that. I know we've got a budget hole, and I know casinos have been held up as uh, a way to fix that. But I, I do have mixed feelings about gaming. Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is in both the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois, we've got budgets that are predicated on those revenues being there, both from cannabis and from sports betting and from expanded casino betting. So it's a reality. Whether we like it or not, uh, we've voted on it, and, and we need that, that that revenue to be there. Otherwise, yeah. we're going to be in a bigger hole than we were before, which was substantial. Um, but I think the reality is, you know, a lot of this is often seen as regressive. It's it's not, you know, usually not the um, the great solution that it's often uh, kind of purported as. So. Right. Well, I mean, I, the cannabis sales, of course, have been explosive. I mean, what we're up to, 18 or, or 20 million already in a very uh, short amount of time. The last I saw is the first two days were three. I haven't seen, a, a, I guess, we're, we're going into two weeks now. Yeah, two, I, th- I believe the last total I heard was 18 million. And I noticed that also uh, Cresco's uh, workers voted to unionize today. Um, I didn't see the vote. I know that was up today. There yeah, was a, there was a hundred voters that were voting. Bernie Sanders actually chimed in on it. Yeah, I believe I believe that has passed. So that that vote is in. So um, that was an or, uh, an organization an organizing effort rather um, yes. by UFCW. Yeah. Um, and uh, good for them. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing, and I think you're going to see more of that. So yeah, pretty interesting. So cannabis is growing up. It is. I mean, at that rate. <clears throat> um, you know, roughly. Uh, oh, we're looking at roughly. I mean, if if it stayed at that pace that, that we're at right now for these first two weeks, um, you're looking at almost five hundred million dollars. Um, and uh, you know, if you were just to look at what the states, you know, taking away from that, um, between the state take away, and then there's three percent for the municipalities and three percent if they vote on it for the county. And the county did vote on that today, so they're going to start taking in that revenue. So that's, you know, that's roughly $140 million. Right. Um, out of out of all those sales. Yeah, I think they said that the total they were looking at, and I almost laughed at the figure, but they said it was $420 million was what they thought they would get in the first year. Um, the, you mean the state would realize that out of tax? No, that the total sales would be around that. Around oh, yeah. I mean, well at, well, at that pace, you'd be over 500 actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's possible. I mean, you know, they talk about a mature market. We've only got a handful of stores. There's 13 in the city, plus a few that are opening. Um, the the They call them the plus ones from the medical program. Right. Um, a number of those have been noticed and up for, there's all sorts of uh, hearings and meetings to go in front of the ZBA to get those open. Um, you know, there was a big issue in the in the council this week, and the mayor actually postponed a vote on the on-premise consumption, which was an issue. And so... You know, they were talking about whether or not tobacco stores were the right venues um, and the right way to license this. The reality is, is that the way the state law is written right now and and the state legislature is going to go back into session in a week, um, it's likely that when they do that, there'll be some cleanup bills. But one of the issues that is in the state law right now, the only place you can, as a municipality, license consumption of cannabis is either a licensed recreational cannabis facility dispensary particularly, or a, or a tobacco. Right. Um, an existing tobacco, and a, like a cigar shop, right? Right. And and in order to, to qualify as that, you have to have 80% of your sales being derived from tobacco. Now, it's not that onerous. You can have 
paraphernalia, lighters, ashtrays. In this instance, you can have any type of devices for flowers or or right. even... Um, What's the place down the street here in Bridgeport, the cigar shop? Are they going to get a... They, they actually could I consume on the products. No. Yeah, I mean, they have a... So that's the idea. It has to be a standalone um, state-licensed tobacco store. Mm. Um, and, then you, and then if this was to pass, which it didn't pass the city, uh, it was supposed to go in front of the city tomorrow um, in, in front of the full city council, that would have been uh, a venue. Um, Alderman Sawyer from the Sixth Ward was one of the biggest opponents of that idea. His concern was a little more complicated than originally was reported. Mm-hmm. It was it was pretty simply this. He, he felt that there's just not an enforcement mechanism. You know, we saw this in um, a, a year ago. There was a lot of reporting about this, these sweepstakes. So video poker is not legal in the city of Chicago yet. It's right. a possibility for next year after a casino. That's always been the the thought that that would be the progression. And in doing so... Before that, there was these sweepstakes machines that got rolled out. We have some of them in the neighborhood. There's, you know, uh, uh, theoretically up to 20,000 of them in the city already. They don't pay any tax. They're not licensed. Um, but they are, uh, they've been challenged as being legal in the state, period. And there's some, some legislation that could, that could make them illegal moving forward. But long story short, um, there's no way to enforce those. The only, the only potential way we would have to, you know, have any kind of enforcement is police actually going in and looking for state licenses, and that's just not a realistic uh, way to enforce this. Or you'd have to have BACP uh, in the city of Chicago trying to you know, challenge licenses, and they just don't have enough people to do that. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that really was Alderman Sawyer's issue, is that you, know, you can have these places where people are allowed to consume on-premise, and then that'll likely give way to people selling on-premise under, right. the, under the table, and, and it'll be virtually impossible to um, enforce, and he's not without reason. Yeah. Los Angeles just closed, closed 250 illegal um, stores that were selling cannabis without license in the state. So um, so that it's kind of, you know, you open the gate to one, and, and uh, it, it has a ripple effect, and that's his concern. Um, they didn't really talk about his bigger issues. Um, they kind of pitted him against the mayor, which was pretty silly. But yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But that wasn't that wasn't the reason. This wasn't like a a principled vote to try and challenge the mayor at all. He he was very concerned simply about the enforcement and ultimately what could give way to a reduction in the tax that could be significant. Yeah. Well, it's going to be some interesting times, and obviously, uh, it's a major new industry that's here to stay in the state and the city and the state. So yeah, but I mean, you know, you talk about uh, gaming, which is what we open this up with, Jamie. You know, there's there's a whole you know, new industry of sports betting, which will be interesting to watch. That'll have its own maturity. Um, the way that they're saying it's going to, it's going to be rolled out in the beginning. It, it's very difficult yeah. to, uh, to comply with. Yeah. It seems like outside of like, you know, if you're at a venue, a sporting venue, you're watching a game and you're betting on like live play kind of calls. Right. Right. Um, in, in progress betting and, uh, uh yeah. Which just crushes props, consumers. Props betting, yeah. Prop bet. Yeah. 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 Um, what color is the Gatorade? Right. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's usually popular in Asia and England. I mean, where it's where it's everywhere on on the TV screens. You know, in in progress betting is huge. Having bet on a number of popes, I'm a big fan of props. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I think uh, it's going to be difficult um, otherwise. You know, I mean, right. it's a it's a huge gray market, uh, even even a huge gray black market. So. Yeah. You hit big on Benedict, right? 
Well, no, you know, I went early on the uh, the South American. So, Did you? okay, yeah. there you go. Hey, we're gonna play a tune. We're gonna get Chris on the phone. She's gonna join us from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. We'll be right back. Keep it right here on Lumpin' Radio. You're listening to Radio Free. And welcome back to Radio Free Bridgeport. Joining us through the magic of the telephone, once we figured out how the telephone works, because that's <laughs> not something that John and I are very good at, we've got Carissa Hendricks on the phone. Carissa, thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Carissa is, uh, well, you're a lot of things. You, you bill yourself as a magician, a circus artist, an actress. You, you play a, a bunch of characters. Uh, and actually, uh, bizarrely enough, um, I was actually tipped off to you by the person who I believe is currently taking your slot at a, at a magic place here in Chicago. Um, he actually lives down the street from me and said that your act is, is amazing. Apparently, you, you perform as, I believe it's Lucy Darling, he told me as, and you, you have an incredible stage presence, and he said you were nominated for all kinds of awards, and that the bottom line was you were someone we had to talk to to get the skinny on what it's like being a professional magician in this day and age. <laughs> I'm guessing that would be Trent James, who it is, is uh, equally amazing. <laughs> it is. That's very nice of him. So take us through, Just let's start at the top here, because... Um, you know, I've had a real fascination with magic ever since I was a little kid. I used to collect all those books that Blackstone wrote, and I used to like to go to the magic shop. And we had a big magic shop here in Chicago, right, uh, John? That, Izzy Rizzy. That's right. Can you tell us a little bit about what, first of all, what what do you do as a professional magician that is, is different than, you know, idiots like myself trying to pull off card tricks and failing very badly? <laughs> Well, I think, um, you know, magic is a lot of things kind of happening simultaneously. And that's what's so satisfying about it to me as an entertainer is that you have to be a decent actor. You have to be a good sleight of hand artist. You have to know a little bit about psychology. You have to be a good storyteller. You have to be a decent comedian. You have to have good control of your body. Because, for example, um, I'm looking on a new piece of magic, and I'm here in, in Nashville, and I have another magician who's also in town, Alba. When she came in, took a look at it, and I'm working on this sort of pickpockety thing, and she said, I mean, there's a lot of tension on the left side of your body because I'm doing something suspicious. So, you know, you have to have enough, like, control, like the way a dancer would, where you can choose to, you know, loosen your shoulder, relax your body, even though your hand is doing something weird at that moment, because people are so intuitive and, you know, really driven by instinct and stuff. There's something a little fishy. The audience won't know how it works necessarily but they'll know where the trick happened or when and for modern audiences that's enough for them to feel like it wasn't magic you know even even if you that's the trouble hobbyists learn stuff and they're like well i know the secret that's why i'm a magician but you know really hardcore professional magic has so many more layers to it is there a difference between or, or are there i guess certain tricks designed for the modern audience or for you know, the the black screen consumable or YouTube video or something like that? <laughs> yeah, there's some magic that's become, you know, YouTube magic. You see this culture rising up of Instagram magicians and things like that. But, I mean, I've been through the era of magic. There's, there's magic places for all kinds of people. Uh, the interesting thing is that, you know, work for Instagram is not going to work on the stage. Because in, on Instagram or on YouTube, you have a really captive audience who's looking from one specific angle. And there's also, you know, you can use the frame. So you can dip your hand out of the frame to do the funny business. But on a stage, you know, there's 180 people, 300 people. Each of those people is looking somewhere else. So you need to make sure that the 
the sleight of hand is really strong. And also, your misdirection is so strong that if there is anything, you know, you can take all 300 people's attention and you can hold it in one spot simultaneously. So even though, you know, there are modern audiences, there's modern ways of experiencing magic, the, the workings of high-level professional magic has been the same for 400 years because when you're performing for human eyes, human eyes are human eyes. So can you tell us a little bit, you make an interesting point here that there's a difference for tricks on television. And I think all of us have seen, you know, there's been a spate of specials on network television and Netflix of people performing tricks on the street, but with a camera. Can you break down a little bit the difference between um, what a performer has to do in those kind of situations where they're they're being filmed for entertainment, and I think what you do, which is, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but you do a lot of what used to be called close up magic, where people are are right next to you and and really keeping an eye on you. And I think you alluded to this with the skit you're working on, with pickpocketing. You're doing things that are are very one on one and close to an audience, as opposed to something that um, has a little more leeway because of where people are in relation to the trick. Yeah, I, I do both, actually. I do okay. um, a couple of full-stage shows, and then I also do quite a bit of close-up magic, especially since Chicago. You know, close-up magic was my first love, and then uh, I designed this character, Lucy Darling, who was designed to be a stage character, and it just took off. And so people have really only wanted me to do that character, but Chicago was kind enough to let me get back into close-up magic, and I had three months to sort of build my skills back up, and I've really fallen back in love with it. And I find that when you're performing, um, you know, for television or for camera, you you really have to be aware of where the cameras are, and you have to communicate quite clearly with your team to make sure that they know where your bad angles are. And I've, I I learned I learned that the hard way by making lots of mistakes. Like there's clips of me on TV where it's not the best angle, it's not the best version of the trick, it's not the best edit. But you know that's that's going to happen to anyone. Uh, whereas in real life, you know, I'm I'm looking at eye lines, so I. You know, in my brain, I think in the brain of a lot of close-up magicians, you sort of have this invisible line going from people's eyes to where you want them to go. Like, you sort of know what they can see, what they can't see. Uh, we have this theory of mind thing where, you know, you imagine that what you can see, the audience can see. But most of the time, it's the reverse. So, you know, we choose performance mirrors a lot, but we also need to be super aware of the angle of eyesight. You know, if... There are certain tricks you do where if the person is six feet tall, there's no magic trick. But if they're five foot nine, it's a miracle. So you really have to be aware of that. Whereas when you're performing for television, it, you need to think of the, line, the lens of the camera as the eyeball. But a lens can go different. Those lenses are wide. Sometimes they're narrow. Sometimes they're zoomed in. They're zoomed out. So it's much harder to know what the angles are going to be like for television unless you're also working to a monitor. And then also you need it to be, you know, fantastic for the people who are standing right in front of you. So I'm, I really think that magic is one of those mediums where it's just better in person. I'm very grateful for all the modern magic on television because it encourages people to come out to places like the Chicago Magic Lounge. But the truth is that your brain is so used to seeing special effects that you see magic on TV and you go, oh, that's kind of cool. But it has, it, I mean, it cannot compare to standing in a room and seeing something impossible happening right in front of you. 
what what is that? Can you can you put your finger on what is that thing that that makes magic so? Because as you mentioned, you know, magic's been around for four hundred, five hundred years. People have been pulling tricks, and there's something. Um, I mean, there's a huge amount of the con involved in that. You know, what you're doing is you're trying to get people to buy in to the fact that you are, in a sense, taking advantage of them. You are you're fooling them. Uh, you know, most rational people know that, you know, you can't make, uh, as you do, I, I believe, drinks come out of a shaker. You know what I mean? With nothing in it. There, there has to be some sort of mechanism. But, you know, part of it is getting people to buy into into the con. Um, personally, what I've always personally liked about magic is there's something kind of sleazy about that. You know what I mean? There, there's a, you can kind of look at it a couple different ways. You know what I mean? Uh, you, you really, a, a magician really is kind of taking advantage of their audience, but can, what was it about this craft that really appealed to you? Because, uh, for people that don't know, Carissa has a wide range of skills and interests and, uh, you, you do a phenomenal number of things. You know what I mean? You, you are a full threat kind of old school vaudeville performer. What, what was it about, though, magic and, and maybe close up magic in particular that made it so uh, compelling for you? I think that, you know, uh, ma- magic is just has this allure to it. You know, when I was on the outside of it, I remember looking in and thinking, wow, it's like a secret society of spies. And it's just so seductive. And then you get into magic, and some of what you imagine it to be is true, and then there's more to it. There's this reverence for our history. You know, magicians tend to fetishize objects, and I, I mean that in, the, in, a, in like a historical sense, obviously, you know, where there are magicians that collect Houdini's handcuffs and illusions by, that Carter owned. I mean, I'm here in, in Nashville right now, and there are two tables in the main theater, and one of them was owned by Carter the Great, and it's it's beautiful. It's falling apart, but it's beautiful. <laughs> and it's the kind of thing where there are industries where a table owned by images, by whatever, you know, an artist you might not care about. But in magic, we just, we love everything. There's so much overwhelming passion for it because magic is so hard. So when you see it done well and you read about it done well in the past, you can't help but have respect for it. And uh, I think there's also another layer to it where you have some acting background, not a lot, but some. And I'm always amazed how, you know, we're willing to buy into the fantasy of theater. There's sort of this negotiation with the audience where, you know, the, you go see Madame Butterfly, she dies at the end, spoiler alert, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the audience weeps for her. You know, nobody stands up in the middle of the theater and points and screams to everyone, oh, guys, I know how this trick works. She's not really dead. You guys, I can see her breathing. Nobody does that, you know, because theater isn't, it doesn't, like, upset your perspective of reality. You buy into it enough that you're class. There's something about magic that it affects people. You know, I love that about comedy, too. You don't give me a laugh. You, people applaud politely, even a standing ovation. I'm grateful to have one, very generous, but it's a decision. You laugh because I made you laugh. You couldn't help yourself. Like, that's a, that's a reaction you get from an audience that has, like, a different kind of value. And it's the same thing in magic. You know, I make people gasp or scream. My favorite thing is these wonderful women come in, and you see that they're very nicely dressed and very cloth and, like, very composed. And you think, oh, yeah, and that person's real life is very put together. And then in the middle of my show, they'll scream, no way. And you just think, I love that. Because that, you look at that woman and you go, you didn't choose to say that. You couldn't help. 
You know, I, I do something so unbelievable that you have to scream at me. You have, you had to get it out of your body. And, and I just don't, can't think of another art form that has, re- at the high end, has reactions like that. You know, really amazing dance will do that to you. It will make you want to move your body. Really amazing music will move you. Really amazing magic. It, it blows your mind and makes you think that magic is possible. And it, it's like being six years old again. You mentioned uh, the Secret Society, and Jamie was saying earlier that you were nominated for, for, for Best Performer at the Magic Castle. Um, that's somewhat of a secret <laughs> society in your trade. Is that right? Yeah, the Magic Castle is like an invite-only, members-only club in Los Angeles. Uh, and it, it's cool. I mean, it's been around for, I think, 57, 58 years. And it started out with the Larson family. And they had a lot of connections in Hollywood with really important actors at the time. So it's always been this, this secret society, this club where, you know, the, that's part of why you're not allowed to take photos there is because it's always full of celebrities. And, and you know, celebrities, a few people who managed to get in somehow, and then magicians just hanging out. And it's so cool to be there. It, and also there's, let me think, one, two, three, four. There's four primary showrooms, plus the theater downstairs, and the one at the bar. You know, there's so much magic to be seen all night. And then all the impromptu tables. You could, you could go there, and it's impossible to see every show. And, you know, the, mag- the Magic Castles, actually, I, I was in L.A. for a number of years, and it's one of my big regrets that I actually did not get to the Magic Castle. So I apologize for that. But I, I, if I'm correct, you and your co-host on your podcast were the two first solo performers, uh, solo female performers of the Penn & Teller Theater there. Is that correct? The, in, the, um, in the Peller Theater. So downstairs, there's sort of this special space, the Peller Theater. It hasn't been there for very long at the Magic Castle. And it, they have designed it to do, like, different kinds of experimental theater. It's mostly designed so that two magicians who probably never work together can do a 40-minute show. Mm-hmm. And we, Kayla and I were asked to, Kayla Drescher, who's the magician I do the Shazam podcast with, we were asked to do a Peller show, and we wrote an original show. And because we're doing a lot of research right now about the um, visibility of women in magic, we happen to have the stats from the Magic Castle, mm-hmm. and we realized that we are the, yeah, we were the first solo female performers to ever perform together in a Peller. So they've had women performing in that room before, and uh, or and they've had they one time they had a, a solo female performer and a, um, a husband and wife team. That was the closest they ever came. But in the 58 years that that club's been around, they've never given that space to two women. And to their credit, uh, you know, we our show was full every single night. People were super excited to come see it and. And I would say that the Magic Castle has made huge strides in the representation of women over the last few years. It, it's really incredible. But yeah, we it just I think it, we just kind of lucked out that we were the first. <laughs> well, can you uh, talk? And first of all, forgive me. I just kind of saw that and smushed Penn and Teller together into Peller, and that was just where my brain was <laughs> thinking of Penn and Teller. Um, can you talk a little bit about the representation of women in magic? Because you do host that podcast. It's Shazam. Folks can find that on any podcast app. Um, because women in, in magic um, for so long, um, you know, I, I'm saying this kind of as a fan. I don't remember a lot of 
uh, women at the front. I remember them as assistants, and I remember them kind of as the props that got cut in half, you know, the lady being sawn in half and all this. Mm-hmm. You know, talk a little bit about this, because the field is changing, and, and you've been doing this now 16, 17 years, and I think you've you've kind of been at the forefront of it. So I'd really be interested to hear what your take on where the craft is going. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, so magic has been around for a long, long time, and women were actually specifically not allowed to do magic um, for a couple of reasons. There was a few parts of magic where we were ostracized because the the clubs were men-only clubs. So, for example, the Magic Circle only started letting women in in the 80s, that recently. And, uh, and so there was a lot of women exclusion because it was a man's club. And then there was also the element that, you know, there was a role for women in magic, and that was the lovely assistant. And so it was less so much that it was just a male-dominated industry. It was specifically and intentionally a female-subjugated industry, where women's roles was submissive and subservient, which kind of makes sense, because if you think about magic in terms of what it is about, it's about power. So magic is, is both metaphorically and literally about power. Metaphorically, in that we're pretending to have special superpowers that you don't have, mind-reading powers that would be would make people potentially vulnerable. And uh, and even now, it's uncomfortable sometimes to be in a room where there's a woman in a position of power. And the secondary part is because, quite literally, there's also the power of knowledge. Where magic is in an industry that is saturated in secrecy, and knowledge is power. So, you know, we don't necessarily want the ladies to know about what's going on, or, you know, some of the secrets are a little unusual. And then you can also think about it in terms of the history of women in magic has been, you know, witchcraft and these untoward things and women trying to deceive men and all this stuff. And so there's also some cultural and and, uh, mythological reasons why women were excluded from magic. So what you have is you have centuries and centuries of this very specific way magic is perceived as being a male-dominated industry. Then those walls start to come down. You know, magicians see the value of having diversity, not just with women, but also cultural diversity. Magic hasn't just been a boys' club. It's been a, been a white guy's club. Mm-hmm. So we start to see a little bit more cultural diversity, a little more gender diversity. But still, the issue for women is that even though we're allowed... Magic only works because you can come in and you can stand on the shoulders of giants. Magic is so, so hard. And if you don't have the books and you don't have the mentorship, it's very, it's nearly impossible to be a decent magician. No magician is coming up with everything independently. It would be impossible. But for women coming in, hundreds and hundreds of years of literature and video and acts and all these things that we're trying to build off of, those have all been designed with men in mind, all books written by men for men. And because magic isn't, you expect, you know, what we expect men to wear are suit jackets and long sleeves. And so then as a woman coming in, you look at the literature, you want to do a trick, and you see, okay, well, I can't do this unless I have a suit jacket with long sleeves or baggy or men's shoes, you know. So if you're wearing heels, a lot of the time, there are tricks you can't do. You have to reinvent the trick, or if you want to wear a dress, if you want to do something with some sleeves on. So you spend a lot of your time, you know, recreating stuff from scratch. So not only is there just not a lot of women, the women that are in the industry often have to work on something just quite a bit harder than your average man would. 
What are some of those uh, those foundational tricks or ideas that um, people should should look at um, if they're if they're thinking about entering the space? Like you, John. Oh, if you like, if you want to get into magic, yeah. Oh, well, I would say the first thing you want to do if you're genuinely interested in magic is go see Magic Live. Like like any magic in any city you're in, good, bad, or indifferent, magic really is an art form that can only truly be understood and experienced live. And we're going through this wonderful magic renaissance right now where all of a sudden in the last two or three years there are magic venues popping up all over Chicago Magic Lounge, and Magic Castle's been around forever, House of Cards here in Nashville, Mystic Dining, Smoke and Mirrors Theater in, uh, in Philadelphia, um, you know, Magic at the McKetrick in New York, as well as Monday Night Magic in New York. There's so much magic all over the country. I mean, L.A. has like six venues. There's also L.A. Magic Bar and Black Rubber. There's tons and tons of places. And, um, and, and like, there's just access to live magic now in America in a way that there never has been. So if you're genuinely interested in magic, step one is to go see it, because what you'll realize is that magic isn't one thing. It's an art form that is as diverse and varied as music is. So you can see magicians that are, like, punk rock magicians or, you know, dark, spooky magicians or historical magicians or storytellers or comedy or throwback or all these different things. You'll get a taste for what you like, and it will be easier for you to figure out where you want to start. You'll go, okay, well, I really like coin tricks and storytelling, and then that kind of gives you a place to go because it's so wide. Magic is so many things. But the first thing that happens as they get interested is they get totally overwhelmed. <laughs> so how did what was what was your introduction into it? And as you mentioned, you know, it's it's hard to find tricks for women because so many of them were, were built for men. Who was someone that you looked to and as a mentor when you were entering the field? When I started doing magic as a young person, I didn't actually have any female role models whatsoever. I was lucky enough to be, you know, I was growing up in Calgary, Alberta, and the community there is extremely welcoming and lovely. And so I had a lot of access to you know, male performers who were very generous with their time and very helpful. Uh, and I was lucky enough to have a certain level of, you know, ability. You know, my dad was always a tinkerer, and we used to build stuff together growing up. And then I went to uh, the Alberta College of Art and Design, which, um, you know, where I learned how to build a lot of things. So it was a combination of seeing these wonderful, inspiring performers and having a lot of help from them. And then when I would hit a roadblock, knowing, okay, well, I'll just make something. If I if I don't have what I need, I'll just make what I need. Um, but that, that's a huge advantage I had because of my upbringing and because of my access. But I didn't see a woman perform magic live. It went to six years ago, and actually Kayla Drescher was the first female performer I ever saw performing magic live in my life. And that was only six years ago. <laughs> so they're very few and far between. I had seen a few on television, but it was extremely rare. Hmm. So we've been talking, of course, to Carissa Hendricks. Her website is Carissa with a C, C-A-R-I-S-A, <laughs> Hendricks, like JimmyHendricks.com. And your podcast is at SheZam, and that's S-H-E-Z-A-M, pod.com. Before we let you go, Carissa, um, I-, I wanted to ask you, 
you mentioned there is a renaissance of magic. What has driven that? Because it does seem, you know, when the Chicago Magic Lounge opened up a couple of years ago, it, it has been a hit. And uh, it's been, uh, it, it kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, and, you know, there's, as you mentioned, clubs in New York and Philly and L.A. What, what's kind of driving this renaissance? Is it the fact that we're starting to see more of it on Netflix and television? Is it is it something else? Is it something in the water? Should we be scared? <laughs> yes, be afraid. Be very afraid. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that the, the magic on television has certainly helped. But I also think that, you know, we're living in a culture now where, you know, this this culture of, like, everything's on Instagram, everything's on YouTube, everything's, you know, there's all these YouTube videos that are taking magic apart, which creates this little spark of interest for magic. And then you think, oh, you know, I'm going to go do something. And the other thing that's had a, a really big resurgence lately is, like, classic cocktail culture and speakeasies. Well, what fits perfectly into classic cocktail culture and speakeasies? Magic. And so all of these clubs that are coming up fall into that. They're all places where you get just unbelievable cocktails. They're all places that are kind of underground, and, you know, there's like a bookcase that opens or something to get to it. You know, it's very cool. And I think in a, in a culture right now where everything's happening on your phone, this is, um, it, kind of, it kind of goes against that. It's, so, it's sort of like, you know, you, you've been scrolling on Twitter all day. Now come out and experience something that only happens if you really are present and you put your phone down and you watch and magic's always been very cyclical as well. You know, magic will come into fashion for like 10 years. The last time it was in fashion was in the 80s during the comedy club boom. And now it's back in fashion, and I'm sure it'll go out of fashion in 10 more years, and then we'll have a little period off. But if you notice, it always follows the cycle of, you know, whenever the country is at its most fearsome, you know, whenever there's a lot of tension in the culture, that's when magic does well, because nothing makes you feel more like a kid more hopeful and more excited than watching like magic now you're away for what six weeks in nashville but you are returning for an engagement here in chicago when, when are you back is it march i'll be back for a run in april and again in may and then um because our show the lucy darling indulgence wednesday show sold out this last run uh they've been generous enough to give me another run for november and december this year Wow. So, okay, so you can catch Carissa playing as, as Lucy Darling, which is your, your character. More information is on our website, carissahendricks.com. You can also listen to her podcast, shezampod.com. Uh, Carissa, thanks so much for spending time with us today and telling us about this. This is great stuff. Thank you. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. And make sure you can see Ben James in the Wednesday spot as well. He's unbelievable. I will. And, you know, when I walk down the street, I'll tell him we had a great conversation, too. Great. I'd be happy about that. (laughs) Thanks so much, Chris. We really appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Chris Hendricks, everybody joining us uh, from Nashville, Tennessee. As I mentioned, we don't have a band today, but John, uh, you know, pretty, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I have to be honest, I loved going to the library and picking up those um, Blackstone books of magic tricks. You know what I mean? And I was terrible at them, but I built, uh, this may be a little too much information for you folks, but I built a puppet theater in my house and tried to do magic tricks, you know, for my f- uh, family. Uh, which is a very small family, so, uh, you know, basically my mom and dad. Uh, not really very successful magic tricks. Did you ever Did you ever do anything like that as a kid? I was more into the uh, the, the pranks, like the, okay. um, you know, there was a pack of gum that basically uh, um, it was like a mouse trap. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the finger the, trap? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it would, like, make your tongue black or mm-hmm. – uh, um, 
those types of things. Or when I was, you know, eight years old, you'd have the fake cigarette, all that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. Um, and Izzy Rizzy was the place. It was out, um, I think it was out on like Ashland, I forget. It was, I know it was out it by- It was on Ashland. It was yeah, by yeah. Midway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, maybe not- No, there was one way up north. West. There was one up north too that- uh, yeah. Closed, I believe. I believe the old man died finally. But uh, I but, used to. Pass but I was fascinated by. with that, and then I've. I've it, it, it's. It is interesting that for her to mention the um, the items that are, are fetishized, like the you know Houdini's. She was just mentioning the magic circle, and I had to yeah, look yeah. that up because I didn't know what it was about. And that's actually a a society, um, as she mentioned, that didn't let men in until uh, until women fairly in. recently. Women, yeah. Uh, only men. It was yeah. men only until fairly fairly recently. Well, good stuff. And uh, have you been up there, by the way? Have you been to the Magic Cloud? No, I haven't. You should. It's it's an interesting place. It's, yeah, uh, well, I'm definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start booking now for March. Going to start booking now for March. Very good. Yeah, we got to go. Uh, so again, uh, Otherly couldn't make it today, but we're back next week with a full uh, slate of guests. Killer drones are in. We'll probably get. What are we going to get? Ad Quick. What we're we doing. Uh, yeah, she was at the clerk debate right today. Uh, I guess the only news there was that um, uh, Mike Kamenarji is on the uh, ballot. There okay. was a, there was a, um, a was question a about his yeah. petitions, which were combined with Kim Fox's petitions. That's right. And Kim, oh, by the way, if you're interested in Kim Fox, Kim Fox was actually on the air on Friday. Um, oh, on, uh, case, yeah. on hitting left. Yep. So if you, that's up on Mixed Cloud if you want to see it. So we'll be back next week. I will not be back. I, I have a, uh, uh, a, a other. You uh, need to get well, brother. I need to get well. Unfortunately, they're going to cut me open like a sausage and see all the black stuff inside. But we do have a ringer who's coming in. He's going to sit in for me uh, here with John. Killer drones are going to play. Eddie Quigg will be here. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, Jamie. On Radio Free.